Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Academy. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and cheaters never prosper. Meanwhile, I am the pioneer of joystick waggling. I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 23rd of September 1993, remarkably... A foreign field is still number one at the box office, and Culture Beat's Mr. Vane is top of the pops. We should probably talk about it then. Yeah, I mean, we've got nothing else to add about foreign field, so yeah, we'll talk about Culture Beat instead. Still haven't watched foreign field, probably not going to happen until 2021 at this point, because (laughs) I go from Shocktober straight into kind of a palate cleanser before I then move into Christmas movie territory at the start of December. Absolutely, exactly, mate. So yeah, Culture Beat's Mr. Vane, what an absolutely banging little tune this was i was getting like the 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 snes remix that uh, i always try and look for like 8-bit or chip tune remixes of the songs to put as the bed music which you're currently listening to now and as soon as i found the snes one of this i was like oh yes what a banging little number this is really is and also whilst the music is upbeat the lyrics are a bit more sinister mr vane mm. is kind of a slightly predatory figure in the song a bit like um ebenezer good it's that same kind of thing this is a cautionary tale i mean even lyrics go call him mr raider call him mr wrong Mm -hmm. call him insane call him insane if you're also calling him mr raider and mr wrong maybe err on the side of caution don't call him insane to his face (laughs) but as i do now have all of the now albums that will cover me through until the end of season three I have listened to this a couple of times over the past week or so, and yeah, it's a right little banger of a tune. The thing that uh, interests me about the Now albums and uh, what I want to ask you about this, because I don't... What Now album was this? This was actually on the last album of 1993 for Now. This was Now 26, which was released on the 15th of November. So technically, it's Hmm. slightly in the future from our perspective. But as we're also looking 27 years into the past, I hope you'll forgive me this brief transgression of the laws of time by listening to a Now album that isn't out yet. In which case, I hope you will also forgive me for asking this question. What comes before 
and what comes after it in the track listing. Before it is Maximum Overdrive by 2 Unlimited. Oh, hello. After Mr. Vane, you've got Give It Up by The Good Men. Oh, I don't remember that one. Well, I've just had a quick listen to it on YouTube and you know, I don't remember the song at all. Like, but I think it's the sort of song that if it came up on an hour album, I would be on the fast forward button. Not really my scene. It goes on a bit long with the drums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, to use a reference we've already used a couple of times this season, it takes too long to get to the fireworks factory. <laughs> fireworks factory! But clearly someone liked it because Simply Red sampled it in 1995 for their number one hit, Fairground. Did they really? Yeah, Mick Hucknall sampling other people's work. Well, there you go. Well, we've got a couple of game releases. And when I say a couple, I mean... A f- load of big releases to go through this week. Check this out. In a, this came out in one single week of 1993. We have got Sonic CD on the Mega CD. We've got Secret of Monkey Island on the Mega CD. McDonald's Treasureland Adventure. AVP Last of His Clan on the Game Boy. Mist on the PC and Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition. Now we're going to talk a bit more about Street Fighter 2 Champion. Oh, sorry, Special Mm -hmm. champion edition a bit later there are some games there i remember mist mist is a game that had many sequels many imitators many re-releases it's still knocking around out there now you can even get it for the nintendo switch wow can you really yeah mist just won't go away it's still out there it's been on mac saturn playstation 3do windows atari jaguar cd the cdi amiga pocket pc playstation portable nintendo ds ios android 3ds and there was even a version developed for the sega cd but that was never released and then you got into real mist which is mist but with real-time graphics which was also released for the pc for the mac for the nintendo switch and even now there is a new version of mist out with virtual reality support bloody hell is it the same game though right or is it just set within the mist world oh no that's just mist the original (laughs) bloody hell there's a parody version, wasn't there, called Pissed? There was also the sequel, Riven. Then there was Mist 3, Mist 4. And do you know what came next? Mist 6. Close. There were not more than five. There was <laughs> Mist 5, End of Ages. <laughs> very, very nice. I'll be honest, the game that jumps out to me, aside from Street Fighter 2 Special Championship Edition, which we'll get into in a little bit when we get to the review zone, is Sonic CD. It's a game that we've used the music for a lot in this show. Even though the game's only just come out now, I've used it. A couple of the tracks from Sonic CD, whenever they've done features or anything like that about CD-based things, I've always used music from Sonic CD to kind of like, here is a CD-based bit of music that I can use to kind of like, you know, give a bit of bed music for this CD feature. And I've already already done that because I think the music on Sonic CD is banging. Now, we're going to get to talk about Sonic CD in about two episodes time because I know, because I'm a goody two-shoes and I'm way ahead on my note-making, that it's reviewed in episode five. Oh, cool. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking into the future, Luke, now. I'm operating fully with my crystal balls. So, Ash, what's happening in the Games Master magazine? Well, in issue 10 of the Games Master magazine, which first physical issue I've had to work from since we I started. Know. So, what's in the news section? Honestly, we are spoilt for choice on this issue. However, just for this episode, we're going to focus on the big news, which is the return of Games Master, the departure of Dominic Diamond, and the arrival of our friend Dex. Our mate Dex. So the first indicator of this brave new world is right there, slap bang on page eight. 
where it says it's goodbye from me and hello to him. Indeed, after nine throbbing months, the sun has finally gone down on Dominic's purple column. Having hosted two series of the Games Master show and contributed some of the most uh, expensive copy ever to have graced the pages of this fine magazine, Mr. Diamond is leaving the cape of good humour that is Games Master. But what does the future hold for the strapping Scott? Well, the good news is he won't be off your screens for long, as he is at this moment working on a pilot for a new BBC Two show rumoured to be the most expensive the channel has ever produced. Side note, by 1993 standards, that's not actually that expensive. You can still read his column every fortnight in Smash Hits. Man, we should check out for some Smash Hit scans. <laughs> and tune into his daily video game broadcasts on the Steve Wright Show on Radio 1 FM. Oh, that's cool. I had no idea he did video game broadcasts for Radio 1. I mean, obviously no. I know of his future radio career, but it's interesting to know it got started at that point. Yeah, I've, I've no memory of that whatsoever. Do you reckon the, the, the Smash Hit stuff is just him... Telling you what Manic Street Preacher song you need to listen to this week. Well, it's all of them. That's the only correct answer when it comes to the Manic Street Preachers. Although, skip the Holy Bible, because I love the Manics, possibly not as much as Dom, but I find that album a slog. Anyway, even though Dom's off, the Games Master TV show is stepping up into, ooh, sixth gear. And by the time you read this issue, you'll have had a chance to meet the show's new host, Dexter Fletcher. Dexter, as well as being a confirmed video games nut... Bullshit, mate. Bullshit. Well, he's a bit of an actor, having starred in things like Bugsy Malone, The Raggedy Ronnie, and all sorts of other stuff. Oh yeah, press gang, there's another one. And anyone who's already caught his somewhat kinetic presentation style will be prepared for the rollercoaster ride of excitement that the new series will offer. Now, spoilers, this is not the last time Dexter will be presented as a gamer. I mean, they, they kind of have to, don't they? I'd imagine they would probably said Bob Mills was a gamer as well. The thing is, they might be right, because he could be a gamer, and he is also an actor, but he's not a game show host by trade. Also, a gamer can be just that. They can be what is known in the modern parlance as a filthy casual. But they're not saying he's a filthy casual. They're saying he's a games nut. And that's utter bollocks, as we know. Like, we know that as a stone-cold fact that that's utter bollocks. I mean, I'm not saying that journalists are known for upping the copy a bit, particularly in video games magazines. I mean, come on, Luke, you've gone through some of these news articles with me. <laughs> you know the level of hyperbole that we're talking about here. We've got column inches. We have to fill them somehow. <laughs> inches. Flipping over a couple of pages, less on decks, but more on an episode we've just covered with TV wimps out, but GM stands firm. See, Dominic's gone, but the dick jokes are still there. In a rather bizarre move, TV production companies have announced a joint policy of not showing fighting games on the current run of TV shows. It seems they are a bit worried about encouraging kids to perform fireballs and yoga flames on their friends. I'd like to see them try. Yawn. Street Fighter 2 and Mortal Kombat are the first games to be specifically targeted for this blackout. However, the Games Master TV show are not going along with this and will be bringing violence in all its glory to your screens. In the forthcoming series, there is a whole program devoted to Mortal Kombat, forthcoming, mm -hmm. and you can bet vital parts of your anatomy that the Street Fighter game will appear somewhere. It all seems a little hypocritical to ban violent video games when soap operas, which can have extremely powerful influence on society's values, even more so than video games, will contain scenes of violence during primetime viewing. You know what? They're not wrong. Not wrong. Games seem to be an easy target. Why not write in and let us know your views? Do video games encourage violence? Actually, don't bother. Oh, well, go on then. I mean, come on, eh? <laughs> 
Surely if we follow this argument through to its logical conclusion, then an excellent way to obtain money would be to make a television programme which only featured people giving money to each other. Then simply go out onto the streets and theoretically, people should keep coming up to you and giving you money. I'm wondering, was there actually a decision to not show violent video games? Did bad influence back off? That, that's what I'm thinking. It must be a bad influence decided not to show some of this stuff. And maybe um, Games World also decided they weren't going to do any challenges around Mortal Kombat. Hello, Luke Owen in the future here. I was actually just listening back to this episode while editing it and thought to myself, I'm going to have a little look online and see if Bad Influence or Games World even referenced Mortal Kombat. You know, actually referenced the fact that they weren't going to show Mortal Kombat on their shows as the Games Master magazine was kind of sort of alluding to there. And lo and behold, Bad Influence did feature Mortal Kombat. In fact, they even showed the blood. This Monday, sweaty hands across the country will be able to grab hold of the most hyped game since Sonic 2. Mortal Kombat claimed to be the most graphic beat-em-up ever. Digitized characters literally rip the hearts out of each other's bodies and tear off each other's heads. So here it is then, the first showing on British television of the game that everybody's talking about. This is Mortal Kombat. Now, the software company behind this are hoping that all the hype will sell some more copies of the game. But as a beat-em-up goes, it's no more violent than any other you can buy. The difference is that like the coin-ops in the arcades that have a switch that turns off the violence, Mortal Kombat got a gore code included. Now, a gore code is simply a cheat that lets you turn the violence on or off like a tap. This is it without the cheat. And this is it with it. All the fuss is about myself. That cheat is only supposed to be available to anybody over the age of 18, but of course by now it's been published in all the magazines. Listen, take it from me, it doesn't add anything to the gameplay. And bear this in mind before you part with your hard-earned. In a month's time, the best beat-em-up ever comes to the Mega Drive. Good old Street Fighter 2. And Games World had a feature on their show in their House of Games episode where they talked about, like, the ports to the Game Gear and stuff. They showed it before Games Master did. All arcade fans will know and love Mortal Kombat, the awesome beat-em-up that makes Street Fighter 2 look like a Girl Guides picnic. The game, being made for the SNES, Mega Drive, Master System, Game Boy and Game Gear, won't be out until August, but House of Games had an exclusive peek at the game in development. We've been developing Mortal Kombat for uh, a claim for the last nine months. Uh, when we first got the machine, it was the most incredible task because it just wasn't designed to go down to the small console machines like Sega Genesis, Master System, Game Gear, etc. Rather than actually hand-drawing all these sprites and these graphics from the arcade machine, we've decided, we decided to get the original graphic from Williams and using our own utilities that one of our producers, Gary Lydon, wrote, cut and pasted the graphics down into a format so we could literally dump them into the console. So anyway, yeah, just thought I'd bring that to light now. Anyway, back to the regular episode. Take it away, other me. Like, I feel bad for Street Fighter in all of that because when Mortal Kombat hit the headlines because of its excessive violence and excessive gore, Street Fighter just got lumped into it, even though it's not a very cartoony game, but it is cartoony by comparison. Ah, but you can hit a girl, Luke. Oh, I see. No, I've legitimately heard that argument used. Skipping over an article that says Street Fighter 3 is here. Is it? Is it now? Is it really? I mean, within the first paragraph, they say not really. They're talking about Super Street Fighter 2. But back and with a two-page spread is TV news. 
which has the whole business. We've got Dexter holding a Super Nintendo joypad. We've got shots of the prison set. We've got the Mr. Muscly caretaker in the welding mask standing behind Dexter, holding him in place, almost as if he's being held to ransom. <laughs> I was about to make a joke there you know, about Dex not being a gaming nut, saying I bet you he's even holding the SNES joypad upside down. But as you were just holding it up to the camera to read the other page, I noticed that he is technically holding it upside down because he's holding it up in the air. If you're holding it up in the air, I think it's allowed because also it's much easier to hold a Super Nintendo joypad in that orientation if you're holding it between thumb and four fingers. So a lovely two-page spread on the TV news and they say, you know what they say, absence makes the heart grow fonder, familiarity breeds contempt, and the sell-by date is an EEC conspiracy to reduce food mountains. I mean, that one still holds true today. I think that is still a fairly popular conspiracy theory. But anyway, let's not hold a grudge. Let's not become too bitter and twisted. There's only room for one Jimbo Douglas in the world after all. Shots fired at Jim Douglas. Mm. Anyhow, Games Master's back now with a new look and a new presenter. So we didn't have to wait too long, did we? And now that the big guy's back sitting astride the pointy bits of Channel 4 with a Big Mac in his hand, let's synchronise those watches, tally up our diaries and prepare for the televised glory to come. All change, they say. You might have noticed a few changes. Let's examine them in a little more detail. Firstly, Auntie Marisha inadvertently destroyed the oil rig at the end of the last series. So the show has an arresting new venue. Ah, arresting. Clever. Nice. Mm. I like it. The Games Master Academy. This top security retreat has become a training center for the world's greatest game players. You lot. Secondly, it's Bye Bye Dominic and Hello Dexter Fletcher. Mr. Fletcher, star of the press gang and many a film, including The Elephant Man and The Rachel Papers, is no stranger to Channel 4, so introductions aren't really necessary. Now, it's interesting that they mention The Rachel Papers there, because I remember seeing that, because I remember seeing it in the TV papers and going, oh, it's Dexter Fletcher. There's a lot of sex mm. in that movie, Luke. <laughs> is there really? Particularly for a teenage me, there's a lot of sex, and I believe at least a fair portion of Dexter's ass. Well, there you go. And you can't help but notice all those gorgeous arches everywhere. Lovely golden things rising up into the air like a pair of beautiful... That's right, commercial televisions upon us. So what are the implications of this sponsorship deal? Can loyal Games Master viewers stroll into the local McDonald's and demand a free Big Mac and regular fries whenever it takes their fancy? Now come on, who goes and gets a Big Mac and a regular fries? If you're going for a Big Mac, you get the large fries, because otherwise you're not even trying. But apparently no, get real. Even Ronald McDonald has to pay but it was either McDonald's or a Claire Rayner endorsed product with wings. Which would you prefer? That feels a little bit unnecessary. So there you have it. A change is as good as a rest, they say, and Games Masters had both, so read on. So there we go. They don't take shots at Diamond. Possibly because I imagine most of them still got on with Diamond. In fact, they take more pot shots at the McDonald's sponsorship than anything else. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, they are all like clearly good mates, particularly, I'd imagine, Dominic and Jim Douglas. So if he's the, you know, the big editor, the big cheese at the magazine, he's not going to be taking any shots at him. I mean, Jim Douglas is still around, but now. But now, mm. yeah. But we have a section on Mortal Monday, which we've already covered. We have a section on Gabrielle, which we've already covered. There was also the setup for the three episodes of Clay Fighter, described as the tournament to end all tournaments. Hey, no, but it's not the best tournament they've done, is it? That's still the Sonic 2 one. It's going to take a <laughs> while to get above the Sonic 2 tournament. But at the end of this article, which also includes pictures of Dexter with Paul Whitehouse, Punt and Dennis and Danny Bear... <laughs> there's something to look forward to particularly the punt and dennis <laughs> episode of course at this yeah, point yeah. they weren't punt and dennis they were just part of the merry white house experience mm. so this is slightly earlier in their career but i've got a lot of fond memories of the punt and dennis show but in addition to those pictures there's also a little old editorial slip in 
mentioning Games World, which is returning to your screens on the 20th of September with a six-month series. It's no wonder no one taped them all. Six fucking months. Bloody hell, that's a lot of episodes. That's five days a week, mate. Yeah, every weekday evening at 6pm. And you won't have to miss Games Master. Just switch channels at 6.30pm on Thursday and you'll get a whole hour of unchecked gameplaying glory. So there you have it. Celebrities, features, consultations, the latest reviews and more cunningly conceived challenges than Challenge Annika. And with a six-month series ahead, expect the unexpected. So there we go. That is how they broached the subject of Dexter Fletcher in issue 10 of Games Master Magazine. I just find it so, like, not surprising. And I don't even think it's weird or anything like that, but it certainly is odd that that was not in issue 9, which is, you know, that's the issue that would promote the fact that it's coming back as opposed to promoting it two weeks after it's already been on the air, particularly then when you're like, forthcoming episodes will see Mortal Monday. Not only does their tone surprise me, but the fact that they don't even acknowledge that, oh yeah, uh, we should have told you this in the last issue. Mm. And in fact, the way that the first news article mentions Mortal Kombat coming up on a future episode, but it's already aired. It makes me feel like that was supposed to be an issue nine. I wonder, I, I'm hoping we get to speak to someone that can perhaps shed some light upon this in the next month or so, because I am really curious as to what the hell was going on, both with Games Master and the magazine Games Master. While they share a common brand and they shared some journalists appearing in both the magazine and on the TV show, both did have separate editorial staff. Oh yeah, I totally get that. I mean, we've got I've got that in my day-to-day life. WrestleTalk.com is under it's not, you know, it's not a different management company, but it is run by a different team than runs the YouTube channel, which is what I so I completely get the sort of you know, the, the dichotomy of the two things not possibly being in sync with each other. I wouldn't be surprised if we just learned, if we ever did speak to someone, that it was just an error and they just thought the publishing date was going to be a different publishing date or the air date was going to be a different air date. And they were like, oh, actually, we thought by the time issue 10 came out, the show hadn't started airing yet. I suppose how far in advance was Mortal Monday promoted? That would be the other question. Yeah. I mean, that that was very much set in stone, like, you know, and they knew that. But did they know the episode was going to air before or after Model Monday? In fact, we've got a third horse in this race now because you've got the television production company, you've got the magazine, but also you've got Channel 4 and scheduling. And you can rarely get any concrete dates for scheduling more than a month in advance. It's a bit more common now because they like to do a big build-up. So when you get the return of Doctor Who or Star Trek or or even Taskmaster on Channel 4. Yeah. They get a big build-up. But back in the day, there was so often the case of, oh, this series has returned in this week's Radio Times. That's yeah. when you knew. Hello, welcome to Games Master. Games Master, special sports edition. Ooh. Our contestants are already limbering up for half an hour of non-stop sporting action, which includes a game that's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. But you'll have to play Chink to catch that one. I can't even begin to think what that game is going to be. Well, guess what? If there's any chance you're going to forget, by the time we get to that challenge, you'll be reminded many, many times that this <laughs> is the best graphics you will ever see. Almost like this is a paid-for promotion, because I'm willing say. to put money on it that this is a paid-for promotion. Yeah, I mean, I think we get that as well in next week's episode when we get to the Muhammad Ali thing, but we'll get to that when we talk about next week. But yeah, a special sports edition. We haven't really had a lot of sports stuff in this series so far, because we had a Mortal Kombat in week one. And then we didn't really have any sports in week two either. No, but saying we haven't had many sports in this series when we're only on the third episode. Statistically, for for Games Master, that feels like a long time. It does. 
And saying it's a special sports edition, going by the amount of sports games in this episode, you could actually call any one of a number of episodes from season one and season two a special <laughs> sports edition. Yeah. But let's find out what our first challenge is in this special sports edition from the Games Master. Our contestants tonight have to run the gauntlet of sports games, leading off with James Pond Crazy Sports on the Super Nintendo. I've chosen the Leapfrog event, but it's a rather amusing combination of skill, coordination, and sea pieces. Get your frog through the course in the fastest time possible. On your marks, get set, go. It's a combination of skill, coordination, and set pieces, although for some reason I've written sea pieces in my notes, which is actually, you know, it's quite fitting given our setting. So we've had James Pond on Games Master before, but this is a newish game. I say newish because it's already been out on the Amiga for a while, but the SNES version we're seeing here is only due out in America in October of this year and doesn't actually get a Europe release until 1994. Wow, holy hell. So even by American release standards, we're getting a beta board here. We're getting an early preview or they've hacked some SNES pads and hooked them up to an Amiga. Could go either way. But the game itself is essentially a cartoonish reskin of track and field. And it also marks a finality of being the last James Pond game to be released for the Amiga 500. While there was another James Pond game, Operation Starfish, it was only compatible with the newer range of 32-bit Amigas, such as the Amiga 1200. It's a sad little end. Yeah, so kind of the end of an era here. But it featured half a dozen or so different events with various cartoonish trappings and little bits of gimmicks and games, as we'll see in the challenge. It was definitely a competitive sporting game aimed at a younger crowd. Yeah, yeah, it's got that feel to it, really has. Please give a big warm welcome for our three contestants sprinting for a place in tonight's final. Shirag Shah from London, Darren Hordman from Derby, and Sally Minette from Daventry. Shirag, do you play a lot of computer games, mate? Yep, I've got yeah. an Amiga at home. You have? What's yeah. your favourite game? James Pond. James Pond is your favourite game, so you should be quite good at this one. Tested it out quite a few times and my dad handed it. Yeah. I don't see what's the problem. I can rock and roll now. You're going to do it. Yep. Good man. So you've heard it from the Shirag there. How do you fancy your chances, Sally? I'm going to stuff him. <laughs> well, there you go. No mugging around. What about you, Darren? You're the biggest of the lot. Well, I don't want to get involved in no domestics, but these two things are going to do it all for me. All right. He's letting his fingers do in the talking. Well, our three challenges are Shirag from London, Darren from Derby, and Sally from Davitry. Darren with a very strong handshake by the looks of things. He has learnt that a firm hand will get you far in life. But yeah, to your point, Shirag has got this on the Amiga and his favourite game is James Pond, so I'm kind of already pegging him to, to do well at this. Not only does he have an Amiga, not only does he have this game on the Amiga, not only does he consider James Pond his favourite character, but he's got a scriptwriter. <laughs> But what you'd think that Shirag may be the boy to beat here because he's already got an Amiga, he's probably played this game before. Darren is the man with the most confidence here because he's not all about trash talking. He's not going to get into all the domestic stuff. His fingers are going to do the talking for him because Darren has got a bit of a trick up his sleeve. He does indeed. And also he's got Dominic Diamond as his script writer because when he said <laughs> his two fingers were going to do it all for him, I'm like, are they really now? <laughs> I actually liked Sally the most in all this because she just went with a simple, 
I'm going to stuff him. With me in the commentary box this week is Jim Douglas of Games Master Magazine. Hi, Dexter. How are you doing? Very well. Good. So, um, James Pond, hurdles, lots of jumping involved. I yeah, suppose. lots of jumping we could certainly expect from this. Um, it's also quite a tiring event. You'll have achy fingers at the end of this one. The trick is to keep a nice steady rhythm and don't peak too soon. Okay. We've got Jim Douglas from Games Master Magazine in the booth. Lots of jumping involved. They'll get You'll get achy fingers playing this game, so you don't want to peak too soon. Yes, a steady rhythm is required. See, Jim knows the score. Jim's got some <laughs> leftover material. Jim also appears to be the fashion inspiration for Sally. Oh, yeah. Because they are dressed identically. <laughs> White t-shirt, jeans, denim overshirt. It's a classic look, Luke. It's the Canadian tuxedo all over again. Dude, it's a classic look. It survived until 2020. I won't do double denim, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm known to, to rock a denim shirt every now and again. The basic gist of the challenge is... Three people compete. The top two fastest times will go through to the final at the end of the show when it's going to be a game, Luke. And do you know what's special about that game? It's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. It's got great graphics, I hear. It's got the best graphics you will ever see. Sorry, it's good to correct me. It's got the best graphics you're ever going to see. That's what I'm here for. Well, Shirag is here to play James Pond and he's up first. Hits a couple of things on the way, but does get 22.02 seconds. He is pretty confident with that score. It's a pretty damn good score. In fact, mild spoilers, it's the best score we get in this round. Sally is up next and she has a way better start. She flies out of the gate, she's clearing all the obstacles and she's at 15 seconds before she hits her first hurdle. And unfortunately, her rhythm is thrown. And once her rhythm is thrown... She's hitting every other obstacle. She's lost the pace and I feel really bad for her. And she makes it across the line with a still mostly respectable 26 seconds. Should have been way faster though. Like it's just that one mistake. I reckon if she hadn't made that mistake, she would have beat Shirag's time into the ground. Dex says it's going to be close. And then we get to Darren, (laughs) who Dexter encourages to get in like Flynn, because if there's one thing 1990s kids love, it's references to in like Flynn. Dexter was ahead of Austin Powers by a good couple of years. Darren's trick up his sleeve is that he knows a cheat. He knows that you can get into a cannon, and that cannon is going to fire you, and it is going to make you skip half of the track. He is absolutely on point here to easily easily walk away with this challenge and guarantee himself a spot in that final. The only way he could not make it into the final is if he literally cocked up every single goddamn thing from the moment he hit the ground. Do you remember that kit in the the Road Rash 2 challenge that once he hit one thing... It was like a magnet went off and he was just drawn to every other thing to to walk into. Yeah. (laughs) That's what happens to our Taran here because he just hits every single thing in his way. I think back then I made a reference to Sideshow Bob and the Rakes. Yes. I was wrong. This is Sideshow Bob (laughs) and the Rakes. Because... He should be hitting a sub 20 second time. He should be setting a record by using this exploit. Can you remember what his final time was, Luke? He somehow, even though he cheated, got 29.9 seconds. He nearly broke the 30 second mark. I cannot remember the last time, if ever, we saw someone fall from such heights so quickly, both on the screen 
and in person because he crashes out of this competition. Yeah. And I, I wish we'd had a camera on Sally as he started to cock up because I can imagine as he did that cheat, her face probably went pale because she knew there was no way she was going through. And then he hits the ground and he's already halfway through the course. There's no way he should get this wrong. And I just imagine this smile spreading across her face as he proceeds to face plant off of every jump. Cheaters never prosper. And we've, th- we've asked about this before. Like, what if someone did use some semblance of a cheat in a level to kind of get themselves ahead? And this is really the first time we've seen it happen where someone has used a legit cheat to try and get ahead in the game and make sure that they qualify and or win a golden joystick. And it completely blows up in his face. And he is gutted when he realizes his time, when he gets through the end, he's got this look on his face that just says, well, f- I really should have done better there. Shrek, you're the outright winner now. Please himself. Yeah, of course I am. At the end of the day, I proved that steroids, steroids just isn't the answer, Ben Johnson. Yeah, it's a good one. Oh, a little moral message for you there. Good stuff. Now, Sally, your time was 26 seconds. Did you think it was a bit of a dodgy time? Yeah, but I told you I'd stuff them. I nearly stuffed him, but it just weren't good enough. Okay, Darren. You had a bit of a cheat going for you there, but it didn't seem to work out, did it? Well, you know, it's me and Linford like that, but when I get to see him next time, I'm going to have a word because that will not just right. Uh, didn't go right for you, did it? In the post-match, Dex asks his Chirag if he's pleased with the result, and he says he's absolutely pleased, as it proves that, at the end of the day, steroids just aren't the answer, Ben Johnson. Mm. Moral message. Shade thrown, <laughs> and again, no way is a kid coming up with that by himself at that age. Then we're on to Sally. She wasn't too happy with her time. She wasn't too happy she didn't get to stuff him as she promised, but she's kind of okay that she made it through. And then last but not least, we're on to Daz. Oh, Darren, it did not go right for you, mate. He says that he and Linford are like that, but it didn't quite work. So next time they see each other, they're having words. And I'm just wondering what we're meant to believe at this point. Are we meant to believe that Linford Christie gave Darren the cheat in this game? Are we saying Linford Christie likes James Pond? Is that what the implication is? I'd buy it. Stranger things have happened in this world. Stranger things have happened on Games Master. And we haven't even got to season four yet. But that means for the first time in series three, we're going to have to throw it to Games Master to find out the final verdict for Darren. I can tolerate cheats, but to cheat and lose is very dismal indeed. Off to the furnaces with you. The pit is no more. Long live the furnaces. Which looks scary as fuck, I'll be honest with you. Like that lad, like this big hulking muscle man, as you quite brilliantly said, looks like Pyramid Head from Silent Hill, just walks up and takes this lad into the furnace. They're going to burn him alive, Ash. He's hanging out in the furnaces with Freddy Krueger. It'll be fine. (laughs) In series two, you had the pit, which was pretty scary. You know, Jim Duggan's down there just like tearing up shirts and scaring people. And shouting that, I want to play WWF Super WrestleMania. (laughs) Still down there wanting to play Super Nintendo. But at least when Lisa went to the pit, there was a way to save her because we saw she managed to emerge from the pit. If you go into a furnace, there's no coming back from that. I mean, there is, but only to grit the path. (laughs) At long last, Street Fighter 2 on the Mega Drive is finally here. It's got all 12 characters, 10 speed settings. It's all here. But is it any good? It's absolutely brilliant. The graphics are superb. The gameplay is spot on, very fast, beautiful. It's probably the best 
Sega Mega Drive game there is right now. But I suppose I've got to find a few little niggly points to pick at. The sound, well, it's a bit tinny, and you're looking at a good 66 pounds to buy it. Okay, so the sound's a bit ropey, and Chun-Li seems to have adopted a lisp somewhere along the line, but everything else is there. All the characters, all the turbo moves, everything. This is a brilliant conversion. Well, it's a big week in the reviews, and we've got Jazz Rignall from Me Machine Sega, Jeremy Doldry, games expert, Steve Merritt from Megatech, Frank O'Connor from Total, and Dave Perry from Mega Power. And the first three of that list are here to review Street Fighter Special Championship Edition on the Mega Drive. It feels like it has been on the tip of our tongue. It's been like within a grasp, just within sort of like a fingertip away that Street Fighter 2 is coming to the Mega Drive. I feel like it's been a big, big part of this show throughout Season 2 and into Series 3. It's been a long time coming, and technically, according to Jazz Rignall, we should have had this back in March. Yeah, it's been a while ago. However, having now been at a point where I could do a bit more digging into it, I now see that we may well have had it back in March, if not for Sega. Mm. Because originally, this was going to be a straight port of Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition. And I always call it Championship Edition, but it is technically Champion Edition. Yes, Special Champion Edition. But I think I've on occasion called it Special Championship Edition. You just did, like, two minutes ago. I I, I know, yeah, yeah. And I'm literally looking at the box here. The box is on my desk in front of me. But originally, the Mega Drive version was just going to be Champion Edition. It was actually going to have a lot of code base in common with the PC Engine version. However, Sega suddenly saw Street Fighter 2 Turbo for the SNES and went, hey, goes, yeah, what's going on? So it was delayed while they essentially added in everything from Street Fighter 2 Turbo on the SNES into the Mega Drive version, making it then the special champion edition. And as we discussed the other week when they were reviewing Street Fighter 2 Turbo, Street Fighter 2 Turbo in its default settings with no turbo boost is champion edition. Street Fighter 2 Special Champion Edition on the Mega Drive with no speed boost is also Champion Edition. However, they both have the extra moves, they both have the speed steps. They are both, in essence, the same weird amalgam version of the game. Mm -hmm. But with the game came a new raft of controllers, and in addition to all the various fight sticks and other bits and pieces that suddenly gained a new lease of life and a new purpose on the Mega Drive, we also got the need for six buttons, Luke, because as we've discussed, playing this with a three-button pad is an arse. Oh, it's a pain in the cock, mate. Absolutely, there's no need to play this game with a three-button pad. How are you holding your joypad? Joining the ABC buttons were the X, the Y, and the Z, and Street Fighter 2 was not going to be the last game to take advantage of this, and as time went on, more and more games took advantage of it, including games on the Mega CD, the 32X, and it became essentially the standard design for the Sega Saturn. This was the game that we had. This was the Street Fighter game that I grew up with, and I remember the game coming out. I remember my brother saving up various bits of pocket money and whatever money he could get his grubby little mitts on to get this game and get a six-button pad, crucially actually, to get two six-button pads that we could both play it together. I remember going into town with him, being so excited because we played it in the arcade and loved it, to go and pick it up and get it back home. And the crushing disappointment when we got into town only to discover that they didn't have any copies of it left and they had sold out and they told us to come back next week. And in 1993, when you're seven years old, and what you really want to do is play Street Fighter 2, not only does that weekend have its own particular kick in the teeth because you didn't get the game that you went into town to get, 
but those preceding seven days feel like a lifetime as you wait for that following Saturday so you can go into town again, go to BT's, and hopefully this time get Street Fighter 2 and the 2-6 button pads. We did, I think it was the the second week, the second week of trying, maybe the third week of trying, we did eventually get a copy of the game. We got one official 6-button pad and an unofficial 6-button pads as sort of like a, a bundle purchase thing. You buy the game with two 6-button pads. And that 6-button pad, that second one, was a proper, like, it was a chunky old boy, double in size of the classic Mega Drive pad because the 6-button pad's a bit sleeker. And this was like a really big 6-button pad because it also had like the turbo button features on it and stuff, the little things you can flick down so that you can also press A and this and the other. I remember that pad. It was also very, very colourful. But, Luke, was it worth the wait? Oh, absolutely it was worth the wait. Because we didn't get Super Street Fighter 2. The kids down the road got Super Street Fighter 2 when that comes out the following year. So, like, you kind of go around to theirs to play that game. But I, this copy that I've got here that's on my desk, this is the copy that, that me and my brother had um, back in 1993. Still got it now, and I still love it to this day. We put so many hours into that game. Loved it so much. Now, whilst the SNES and the Mega Drive games were essentially the same at this point, one turbo, one special champion, there were a few, I guess, cosmetic slash accessibility differences. One cosmetic difference is the Mega Drive version was the first home console port to have the attract sequence of the two fighters outside the building where the one punches the other. Mm -hmm. The SNES wouldn't get an attract sequence until Super Street Fighter 2, when you've got that great silhouetted Ryu, yeah, yeah, doing the bob, preparing to throw a massive fireball right at your face, which I think is actually a way better attract sequence than the original Street Fighter 1 because it contains the characters from the game rather than just two jobbers, really. Two lads, two yeah. lads. Remember once a friend of mine had a birthday party where you had to come dressed as your favourite character from a fighting game? But me and my mate Dan showed up and forgot that there was a dress code for this, which I felt really bad about because he went all out dressing up as um, Akuma. So we just said like, oh yeah, we're the two lads at the start of Street Fighter. That's a good dodge. <laughs> yeah. Well, well done. The other difference between the two games is as we covered on last week's episode, there is a cheat to get 10 stars of speed on the SNES version. That was available by default on the Mega Drive, you could bump straight up to 10 stars and they put another cheat in that allowed you to increase the speed in champion mode rather mm. than going into the turbo mode. Having not tried it, I don't know what blind bit of difference that will actually make other than maybe colours. Who knows? Who knows? But they were essentially the same game and both were excellent. There was one other big difference, Ash. What's that? This game got 91% and the SNES one. Oh, it did not get over 90%, did it? It didn't, and I knew you'd raise that, and I've already got a response. <laughs> yeah. Because they're comparing it to what else is available on the platform and judging it by its uniqueness. That's exactly it. There's a reason why the yeah, Street Fighter 2 Turbo doesn't get over 90%. They, uh, Jazz Rigner was very adamant on it. I've already spent 60 quid on Street Fighter. They're asking me to pay another 60 quid for Street Fighter again. 
Whereas, you know, here, you're right. This is the only Street Fighter you can get on the Mega Drive and they've been waiting for it for so long. I'd say it's entirely fair. I wouldn't argue with it. I would say that, yep. yeah, on the Mega Drive, this is more deserving of a higher score than Street Fighter 2 Turbo on the SNES. It would have been interesting to see what Super Street Fighter 2 for the SNES would have gotten on Games Master. Unfortunately, I have checked. They don't review it for the SNES. It does get mm. reviewed for another platform, but we'll get to that in a season's time well yeah that's a that's a tease that is yeah that is a tease if ever there was one anyway yeah 92 percent for this they absolutely love it jazz loves it uh jd loves it steve Merritt uh loves it but the only real criticism they have against the game is the sound can be a bit tinny which i totally get because the mega drive as we said before on this podcast not famed for its uh, speech chip. And sometimes it feels like the music chip suffers as well. A good example of this would be you'd have heard Rock and Roll Racing on last week's episode. And I went and listened to the renditions of the songs for both the Mega Drive and the SNES version after we talked about it. And you know what, Luke? Oh, man. The SNES yeah. version is so much better. So, so much better. But then you have things like the Sonic games, the Streets of Rage. And honestly, I think that if you know what you're doing, you can get music as good, if not better, out of the Mega Drive. The biggest issue is when they're trying to take something that either has to be multi-platform or a port from an arcade, and they're trying to kind of square peg round hole it. That's exactly it. There are very few instances where the Mega Drive port of a game sounds better than the SNES one. The only one I could really think of off the top of my head is Mortal Kombat. And that's only because I've just spent a long portion of time listening to both soundtracks because of doing the edit for episode one. I do think the soundtrack for Mortal Kombat sounds way better on the Mega Drive than it does on the SNES. But, and I would say that and Earthworm Jim are the, is the only other one I could think of because Earthworm Jim needs that, that Mega Drive sound to it. Uh, and I, so I don't think it sounds as good on the SNES. I would respectfully disagree, but that's fine. We're allowed <laughs> to have different opinions. And I'm not even going to say, but I'm right on this one. With the Earthworm Jim, it is literally what you grew up with. And there is no definitive edition to compare it to. There is Earthworm Jim for the Mega Drive for the SNES. And there is a PC CD-ROM version as well. But it's not yeah. like Street Fighter 2 or Mortal Kombat, where you can go to the original arcade and go, this is reference. Yeah, exactly. Although, having said that, the SNES version of Rock and Roll Racing still sounds better. Oh yeah, vastly superior. Well, what do you know? The hero in this one's called Dexter. Be prepared to take on everything that the evil boff can throw at you over 14 levels of mazes, puzzles and platforms in Space Ace. You have to set out and rescue some kidnapped chick. It's been done a million times before. Graphics are fine, sounds wonderful, gameplay sucks. Very linear, you just got to work out what happens at the right time and deal with it. Uh, it's just real trial and error, and personally, I would prefer real gameplay. And some nice ideas. There's a speeder section, there's an underwater section, but the first stage is so hard, I doubt if you'll want to continue. What's not vastly superior, however... Oh, God. ...is this next game. Oh, God, Space Ace on the SNES. This game's hot man. This game is absolutely ass. Like, it's... Oh, it's it's not a good game. This I have played it. Um, it's kind of off a recommendation of someone who'd like put up a, a list of like you know terrible SNES games that you never played, and and I watched that video and I was like, oh, Joe, I'm going to give that Space Ace a go. Played it. It is so much worse than you think it will be. I think the seventy percent score it gets here is incredibly generous. It's better than the Dragon's Lair SNES game. Like, objectively, yes, it is better than the Dragon's Lair SNES game. But it is another one of these games where they've taken a game that in its arcade form, well, 
wonky as hell and very unreliable is beautiful because it's all hand-drawn animation being driven by a laser disc player and it looks great yeah. and arguably it's only the cd-rom consoles and computers that get decent ports of those games including the cdi yeah it, it's taking a port of a game that can't be ported to a console in the way that it's meant to be played you know like we saw with dragon's lair as you see here with space ace so they just do this i don't know almost pointless version just because they feel like they have to get a space ace or a dragon's lair game onto the mega drive and the snares because they're popular in the arcades when really they just they didn't i I think this is a waste of time it's a waste of everyone's time i mean basically because they couldn't do that full animation they just went what is he doing in this sequence okay we'll do a level based off that What's he doing in this sequence? We'll do a level based off that. Not the worst idea, but to actually get the end credits, you had to get an ace on every level, which meant basically completing it perfectly, collecting every token, every disc, not dying, not taking hits. And as they say in this review, you're most likely going to give up before the end of the first level. Yeah, it's so hard. You're not going to get off it. Garfield the cat's fallen into an underground maze and you've got to get him out. Use feline cunning to beat off those bad guys. Nice character, but is the game up to scratch? It's a strange mixture of platform and puzzle. Um, Collect the keys, open the doors, collect the bombs, bomb the floors. It's all very simple and it's all very tedious. He can drill, he can jump. It's nothing particularly original. Nice graphics, bit of a sad license zone. Anybody who buys this who's a Garfield fan and is hoping for something fun and imaginative is going to be sadly let down. But rounding off this review, if you thought Space Ace was bad, this is way worse. It's Garfield's Labyrinth. And my favourite thing about this review, it's not Frank calling it tedious. It's not Jeremy calling it unoriginal. It's Dave Perry who just says, do you know what? If you're a Garfield fan, you're going to be very let down by this. A dismal 28% for this crazy castle knockoff series the basis it's the weirdest game franchise that has just been put onto so many so many ips and they're all the same game and they're all very very bad so let's start with this game this garfield labyrinth which is what it was called in europe in america it was a real ghostbusters game it was indeed yeah and then in japan it was mickey mouse 4 Now, the Japanese version, obviously based on Walt Disney's Mickey Mouse, which was part of the Mickey Mouse side of Kemco's Crazy Castle series, European version based on Garfield, American version based on Ghostbusters, but the game itself is actually a direct port of P.P. Hammer and his pneumatic weapon, which the creator says was not done with his permission. So this is actually a bootleg game reskinned. Now, P.P. Hammer was a 1991 video game for the Amiga and the Commodore 64, and itself, it was a rip-off of Load Runner. Hold on, we we can't just skip past that this character is called P.P. Hammer and his pneumatic weapon. That sounds like proper diamondism territory. You're right, we can't skip past it, so let's just take a moment to acknowledge and accept it. Yes, P.P. Hammer. But when the illegitimate port was done as the fourth entry in this franchise, it wasn't just a case of, oh, we stole my idea. Some of the sprites were the same. It was that level of a ripoff. Now, to get how bonkers this entire franchise is, we need to go back to the beginning. Way on back in 1989, Kemco got the rights to produce a Famicom disc system game based on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And that is exactly what they released for the Famicom disc system in Japan. However, in North America, 
LJN had the license for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I believe, and there was already a NES game released for that. So Kemco did not have the rights. So at that point, they struck a deal with Warner Brothers and thus came into existence the first Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle that was released for the NES. There are a buttload of sequels to that game. There are. In 1989, there was the Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle released for the Game Boy, which in Japan was also released for the Game Boy as Mickey Mouse. We then skip forward to the third game, which is released in Japan as Mickey Mouse 2, in North America as the Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle 2, and in Europe as either Mickey Mouse or Hugo. (laughs) You remember the Belgian or French franchise? It got Hugo'd. And that game was released over a span of four years in different territories and under different skins. We then go to 3, which was released in Japan as Mickey Mouse 3, and in North America as Kid Clown in Nightmare World. And that was for the NES. So we've lost the Bugs Bunny franchise at that point, and it's just got something else on it. We then get to this point in time, which is Mickey Mouse 4, which is released for the Game Boy as Mickey Mouse 4, The Magical Labyrinth in Japan, Real Ghostbusters in North America, Garfield Labyrinth in Europe, and all of those come out in the year 1993. But the next game is a landmark game, because in Japan, it's Mickey Mouse 5. In North America, it's Mickey Mouse. And in European regions, it's also Mickey Mouse. So by the time we get to the fifth game, they've managed to get their shit together and got the same license for all countries. Then, in 1997, in Japan, we're back to Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle 3, which is also Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle 3 in North America and Europe. And the same for Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle 4 in 2000. And then by the time we get to the era of the Game Boy Advance, they've moved on to Woody Woodpecker. But it's still the same f***ing game. Uh, AVGN had a fantastic video on this. If you're not really into James's style of comedy, you probably won't get on with it, Sydney, because it's, it's... it's about the games, but it's also a, a massive fight sequence between him and Bugs Bunny, who then reveals himself to have been Woody Woodpecker this entire time. And it is quite humorous, but particularly just to go through this kind of crazy history of this game. That real Ghostbusters game, by the way, is one of the biggest disappointments I've ever had in my emulation career, which is when you're just, you know, you're going through the big long list of games for, you know, your Game Boy, and they're like, <gasps> real ghostbusters there was a real ghostbusters game and i never got to play it as a kid man can't wait to play this what the f- is this game oh bloody hell it's crazy castles it's bloody garfield's labyrinth i played this smegging game before the real ghostbusters themselves have an interesting history with video games because even their arcade game was a reskin yeah yeah although when it comes to ghostbusters on the game boy ghostbusters 2 on the game boy that's a cracker That's a cracker because it's one of the first Ghostbusters games I can remember where the trapping mechanism is done pretty well. I know it was in the original Ghostbusters, but as many of us know, that original Ghostbusters game is kind of broken on a number of its ports. Mega Drive game looked great, but was essentially a bog-standard platformer. But Ghostbusters 2 on the Game Boy, I just really like that game. We hit that sweet spot as well because it's a European release. Didn't get it in over in North America. (laughs) Wankers. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, 28%, the new low score alert. Really is. Oof, that is rough. But I mean, do you know what? 28% is very, like, it's earned because this game is bad. This whole series, is its longevity is baffling. Not only is this score deserved though, Luke, we've said this is a new low score. I can confirm this is the lowest score Ooh. that we will get in Games Master. Wow. And even then, only four other games will get less than 40% 
and we've already had two of those with Paperboy 2 and Street Gangs on the nets. Incredible, the Street Gangs is among that list, man. And one of those other games, though, that get below 40%, we've got coming up this season. But it's time for our celebrity challenge, so let's head on over to Gamesmaster and find out what we're playing. Well, now we have something very special indeed. The first round of our Gladiator Supreme Challenge. The game is Clay Fighter for the Super Nintendo. Our two challengers will need all their wits around them to win this best of three rounds contest. I've chosen the characters myself for change. Blue Suede Goo is the first, a man with a deadly hairstyle. Facing him is Helga, an ample Norse girl with a fearsome hug that she reminds me of a dear old sweetheart of mine. Anyway, the winner of tonight's bout will be back in our grand final in a fortnight's time. So it's all to play for. We do love a little mini tournament on Games Master, and this is our first celebrity mini tournament. It won't be our only one in Series 3 either. It's the Gladiators Challenge, and they're going to be playing Clay Fighters on the SNES, a game that I have got a lot of nostalgic memories for, because this coming Christmas, Christmas 1993, my cousin gets a Super Nintendo. And I think it's at Christmas, or maybe just after, he gets Clay Fighters for it. I'm pretty sure he gets it this Christmas. So I remember going to his house and playing this game a lot. And actually at the time, loving it. This entire game came about because there was controversy about Mortal Kombat, but there was also some controversy about Street Fighter 2 because even though it was more cartoonish, they were still human beings punching the crap out of each other. And there was blood in Street Fighter 2 or vomit if you punched someone so hard they threw up. So... Clay Fighter was being looked at as the possibility of being an alternative to Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter 2 that would still have a similar combat system and still have slightly darker, edgier characters because some of these designs are actually really quite disturbing Oh yeah, in a kind of puppet master way. Particularly Ichibod. Ichibod. Ichibod is probably my favourite design in the entire series because he reminds me of Sam Hain from the real Ghostbusters. But they're clay. They're claymation. They knock lumps of clay off each other, and they are clearly toy-like things. So their whole idea was, let's create a game that parents will go, don't want to buy my kid Mortal Kombat because he's 10. But Clay Fighter? That sounds like Street Fighter. Yep. And oh, look, they look like Aardman animations. They look like creature comforts. Let's get them Clay Fighter. It's a smart move, man. It's a smart move, and do you know what? It made some bank, and they even did a second version of this game. They did Clay Fighter Tournament Edition, which was meant to be rental only from Blockbuster, but did get a release in its own right, where they fixed a lot of the issues with the first Clay Fighter, because there were a lot of issues with the first Clay Fighter. Yeah, it doesn't hold up. Like, unlike Street Fighter and unlike Mortal Kombat, it, it doesn't hold up to play. It, it Kind of like we were talking about Turtles Tournament Fighter. I was saying like, oh man, at the time I loved it, but like it, and I loved it just because it was a Turtles Tournament Fighter. I think with Clay Fighter, it was just, I, I was into one-on-one beat-em-ups and I liked all the characters, so I really enjoyed playing the game. But going back to it now, it is, it's rough as asses. It's really rough around the edges. I think a lot of the issue with some of the pretenders to the Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat throne comes from the fact that you've got people making these games that are not companies or programmers that are in tune with what it takes to make a fighting game. What gives yeah. Street Fighter 2 the longevity isn't just the character designs, which are a very important thing. It's how the game flows. It's how the game moves and it's how the characters connect and how the moves connect. It's like creating a forgery of a Grandmaster's painting. Yeah. You might create something that looks exactly like the original, 
But on closer inspection, people might notice the brush strokes are different or that the layers haven't been built up in the same way. And the result will be, well, it looks like the original, but it's not. Yeah, I think it's quite clear that this is character and design first and not so much gameplay second, but the character work is very much like front and center because these are very cool and colorful characters. Blue Suede Goo, in Helga, in The Blob, as we said there, Ichibod. But it is, it, it's clunky. Like, it doesn't have that weight behind it. It's kind of like what Jazz was saying about Mortal Kombat. In the hands of two fighting game experts, this could be a really entertaining game to watch. Unfortunately, we do not have two fighting game experts. Let's welcome the first of our two gladiators battling for a place in our Clay Fighters Championship. Please give a big hand for six foot four, 19 stone of sheer muscle, Shadow and Gladiator newcomer, Falcon! Let's have a word with them, right? Okay, Shadow, nice to meet you. That's good. So, uh, the Games Master's chosen a couple of characters. Have you chosen one? Yeah, I think I'm with Elvis Presley. Oh, Blue Swag Goo. Blue Swag Goo, that's it. Lots of hairstyles. That's right. That's yeah? Right. Okay, and, and what are you going for? I think she's in Helga, the strong woman. She is a strong she woman. Is. You're absolutely right. She's got some good special moves. Here she is. And as you say, we have not got experts playing this game, but we do have gladiators in the form of Shadow and Falcon. Shadow making his Games Master return, looking to win another golden joystick to his collection. I think it's the first time that we've actually had a celebrity returning. It is. Yeah, yeah. And spoilers, it won't be his last appearance. It won't be indeed, no. But uh, clearly... He's not massively into this game or the characters. Games Master has picked out Blue Suede Goo and Helga to play. So the character names are there. But when they go to Shadow, which character have you picked? He said, I've picked Elvis. No, it's not Elvis though, is it? It's Blue Suede Goo. There's a big difference between him and Elvis, Shadow. Yeah, we can't be sued for using the name Blue Suede Goo, whereas we can be using the name and likeness of Elvis. At least Falcon's on board and said she's picked Helga. Like, she knows the character name at the very least. Falcon is great in this and also she should really give some hair care tips to jazz rignall because her mullet is magnet it's like a falcon it's a crest it's beautiful she also has a reputation for being the friendliest and nicest gladiator both then and now she has always apparently got so much time for people which Mm. is wonderful now we already talked a bunch about shadow on his first appearance but falcon is a newcomer both to games master and also at this time was a newcomer to gladiators herself she was about 30 and had got a start as a dancer but her plans were scrapped in her late teens when she suffered a back injury she then decided to change tactics a bit and became an aerobics teacher from there she gained an interest in bodybuilding and within a few months had entered and won her first contest miss natural health 92 She won a lot of other titles, including Miss Novice Britain, Miss London, the Home Counties 1992 Championship, and Miss South Britain. I wasn't aware that at some point there were that many bodybuilding competitions going on regionally in the UK. That feels crazy. Although Miss Novice London doesn't sound like the highest award, does it? You're the the best at being average. (laughs) I'm wondering if they just didn't want to use the word amateur, because... Hmm. Amateur, I think, is actually a perfectly fine term. It means that you're not doing it professionally, which she wasn't. She was still an aerobics teacher. She was an amateur. So for some reason, they decided novice sounded better. It did not. She wasn't a gladiator that kind of specialised in one event or another. She was one of the few all-rounders. I always have a real soft spot for Falcon. I just always remember her being so joyous 
and glad to be there. And also from the female side, one of the older gladiators at that point, because she started at 30. Yeah, yeah. She seems so friendly on this show as well. She's really, really game for this. And she's still going as a fitness instructor today, which is absolutely lovely to hear. So if you want to see Falcon and Shadow mashing it up on Clay Fighters, stay tuned. Lucy, we found your fabulous dream house. There's a kitchen, bathroom, lounge, and we'll even throw in the cat. <laughs> Lucy Loggett and her fabulous dream house. Sega TV, problem spot. Got a problem. Friends, keep buying your hats. Get 25 Meg Street Fighter 2. So many new buddies, you won't need real friends. So many fighting options, you tear your hair out. Oi, no hair, no problem. Ha! To beat this hair, he takes Sega. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All I want's a thump up, I think they're really neat. All I want's a thump up, the crazy wacky sweet. You'll go really loony when you stick one in your face. All I want's a thump up, cause they dance really ace. Look, is it too much to ask for? All I want's a thump Hello and welcome back. In the hot seat we've got Gladiators, Shadow and Falcon battling out on Clay Fighters. In the culture box for me tonight, I've got Steve Carthy, a familiar face to Games Master. Hi Dexter. How you doing? Alright. Not too bad, mate. So, Clay Fighters. 
is. It's a bit like Street Fighter 2, really, isn't You're it? not wrong, Dexter. It's a very similar game, but yep. much funnier in comparison. Side-splitting in more ways than one. Right, so what's some of the strengths and weaknesses to watch out for in these Well, Helga is a very, very strong character, but she's not particularly fast. Right. While in comparison, Blue Suede Goo is he's a very fast, very nippy little character with a lot of reach in some of those moves. Watch for the quick. We come back from the ad break. Stephen Carsey makes his return to Games Master. Do you know what? I can't focus on what he's saying because... They've given the kids some props, and the props they've given them are little tin cups that they're banging against the railing, and it's really loud and very distracting. God help anyone in that building with, like, tinnitus or something else going on, because, <laughs> dear Lord, that is an annoying noise. And it also really shows that they filmed all these challenges at the same time, because those tin cups appear for every one of these gladiator challenges. But one of the things I love is we come back, Steve Carsey is introduced and Dex doesn't beat around the bush. He just says what we're all thinking. Clay Fighters, it's a bit like Street Fighter 2 really, isn't it? Yeah, it is a little bit, but crucially, it's funnier. Side splitting in more ways than one. We'll be the judge of that. Although I will tell you, seven-year-old me did think this game was very, very funny. Okay. They're, they're clay characters kicking the shit out of each other. A lot of fun in that, mate. Do you know what they should have gone for with this? They should have gone for the Tony Hart endorsement and had Morph in there. <laughs> oh, yes. That is a way better unlockable character than Earthworm Jim and Booger Man. Or you have Morph versus Earthworm Jim. Oh yeah, that I could get on board with. What I I quite like about these two is that Shadow. I mean, Shadow is definitely a games player. Like he is definitely someone who plays games at home and plays games in his spare time. But both of these guys have been shown how to do some special moves, and you can tell throughout both of these rounds they're both attempting to do the special moves. We don't get this in next week's uh, bouts, but here, both Shadow and Falcon are trying to do each of their, their, their characters' respective special moves to make the fight exciting, but also because they've been told by the people you know, guiding them and, judge, you know, and, and coaching them, you need to do these moves to do the most damage. And what this generally results in is occasionally Blue Suede Goo throws out a musical note and occasionally Helga does a kind of torpedo flying spear thing. Yeah. Very occasionally. Realistically, Falcon slash Helga doesn't stand a chance. She may be the more powerful character, but Blue Suede Goo just catches her hit after hit after hit. There is at least five seconds of this fight where they are stood at opposite sides of the screen just hitting the punch buttons. It's a proper drunken Friday night kebab fight going on. That's it. That's where they're both just trying to do the moves. And do you know what I think it is? I think it's Falcon struggling with the D-pad. I think she's struggling with that SNES D-pad on, on how to do the quarter circles. I've said it myself. I prefer a Mega Drive style pad, and that can either be on the Mega Drive or a third party fight pad or whatever for doing those quarter circles or the dragon punch forward, mm -hmm. down, down, forward. I've still never been able to happily pull off an original Zangief spinning pile driver on a SNES pad. Absolutely not, mate. Not, not the pad for it. Mega Drive pad, rolly, rolly. Easy. But yeah, Shadow pretty much dominates both of these rounds. Poor old Falcon just cannot get off the starting blocks. But, I mean, really, they picked Helga here so that both Stephen Carsey and Dex can just sit in the commentary booth and make fat jokes. Helga's making a comeback. She's making a comeback. As you can see, she's very heavy around her girth. Very, very slow around the screen. But she's a very strong character. Very strong indeed. Got lots of weight behind her, I think. Uh, I think she gets a bit of momentum into those moves, yeah. Yeah, definitely. They're half-hearted fat jokes at that, which yeah. I'm, I, I, was, I felt quite uncomfortable because I'm not a fan of that kind of humour at the best of times. But any time they make a comment on a size, they immediately follow it with, but that means she's stronger 
or she's got yeah. more mass. She's fat, but that means she can hit harder. And it's like, yeah, you're kind of trying to cover your own asses because you've been told to make some comments or you've been encouraged to make some comments, but you're not quite comfortable with it, are you? And I don't blame them. I wouldn't be. I tell them to fuck off. What are they going to do? Replace me with another guest? Yeah, it's t- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not quite Captain Dynamo levels of fat shaming, which, you know, if you haven't heard that episode, is effectively Dominic Diamond saying, oh, it's because he's fat. And old and slow. It's it's ageist and fat phobic, essentially. (laughs) It's very 90s comedy. So you were beating him two straight rounds there. What went wrong, do you think? Well, I had to sort of make it a little bit easier for him. But, You're being kind um, to him. Yeah, I'm being a bit kind. Nice, yeah. I'm actually using That's lots good. of special moves. There was that intention all along. Well, I was just going for it. I was just like playing with all the buttons and pressing lots the buttons. Of buttons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well done, Tay. You'll be joining us for the final in two weeks' time, yeah? That's right. That's okay, right. great. Well, Shadow is our winner, and those kids with their cups need to f*** <laughs> off. Uh, Falcon, <laughs> uh, Falcon, absolutely brilliant here. It's just like, you know, I made it easy for him. I made it easy by because I was too kind. Dex asks Shadow if the special moves were intentional, and Shadow doesn't even try and play it cool. He's like, no, I was just mashing the buttons. I was pressing all the buttons and stuff happened. An interesting thing during the challenge is I tell you what, Shadow's face was one of like death stare concentration. Falcon was just having a good time. Yeah. Well, we saw that with Shadow when he was in series two doing the American Gladiators challenge. He is, I, as I said, man, I, I'm pretty sure he's a gamer in life and he and he wants to he wants to win. He wants to be a winner here. Be our first ever two-time Golden Joystick winner. One would have to ask, if he is a gamer, why the hell didn't they give him some games he could actually play? Because he didn't win the American Gladiators challenge by being good. And he didn't win this challenge by being good. He just won this challenge by being not as bad. I would uh, wager the American Gladiators one is because they are gladiators. You can play the game of your TV show. And I think with here, this is kind of like what we're going to see in the final. It's a, it's a sponsorship thing. It is. We will feature your game in this tournament for a little bit of bunts and, you know, exclusive access to the game ahead of time, ahead of release. Now, we're going to see Clay Fighter a couple more times this season. First of all, we've got two more challenges with it in. But most importantly, it does get featured in the review zone, but not in such a way where Games Master either has to praise or condemn it. But Mm -hmm. more on that later. (laughs) Bad influencism. Hello, and here I am again, open to offers. Games Master, I've heard there's an underwater secret bonus level on Tiny Tunes for the Mega Drive. Can this be true? Well, normally I wouldn't advise you to listen to gossip. But this time, it just so happens to be true. On level 12, make your way through to the deep canyon. Travel down the logs as usual until you reach the bottom. Don't go into the tunnel at the right. Instead, jump left into what looks like a solid wall. You will now find yourself in a secret room with a warp on the floor. Enter this to transport yourself to an underwater bonus bonanza. Thanks, Games Master. Bye-bye now. Uh, I'm a big fan of Tiny Toons on the Mega Drive. That's a really fun game. It's a great game. The Tiny Toon games were in general. That was a sweet time to play a lot of the Warner Brothers tie-in games, be it Tiny Toons, Tasmania, Animaniacs, Batman, the animated series. There was a cracking couple of games based around that as well. Things coming out of the House of WB at that time were pretty damn good on the TV and they fed pretty damn well in video games. Yeah, 90s was a good period for Warner Brothers. And you know what? The tail end of 2020 
looks like it's also going to be a good time for the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister Dot. <laughs> Very nice. On the gunship 2000 on the Amiga, I keep getting killed by the enemy missiles. Can you please help me? Oh, I say. When you're in the same area as the missile attack, hide behind the nearest mountain and select your air-to-ground missiles. Now, quickly raise the collective on your gunship and you'll rise rapidly. As you appear above the mountain, quickly lock onto the target and destroy it. If it fires at you, reduce your collective and the mountain will shield you. Thanks very much. Good to see the Amiga still getting some representation on this show. Feels like, you know, we've very much moved into just Mega Drive and SNES now. That's kind of like, that. that's the era that we're in. But there's still some Amiga love here in the consultation zone. And I do love the advice that she gets here on, on how to sort of beat this, this boss of sorts, which is basically hide behind this big mountain and then just sort of pop out, lock on, shoot, duck back down again. Essentially treat this flight simulator like a cover-based shooter. Yeah. Now I will say I do like this tip because this is a proper tactic thing. This isn't a cheap for infinite lives or, you know, bendy missiles or something. This is a I'm stuck on a bit of a level or I'm stuck with a certain enemy how do I defeat them? And the advice given is really solid. Much like the Tiny Toons one was a great little exploit as well, because it's not something that lets you complete the game easily. It's almost a reward for when you're a good chunk of the way into the game. Yeah. And it was also nice to see Gunship 2000. It had already been out a year. It got an expansion in 1992. So 1993, it's definitely in its senior years, but it will get more releases and it will get some upgrades because in 1994, it gets an Amiga CD32 release. And then in 1996, it gets a PlayStation release as well. And there was another release planned for the Atari Jaguar. And do you know what happened, Luke? (laughs) It didn't come out. It got (laughs) cancelled. Yeah. I've said that about a fair few games over the past 10, 15 episodes, and do you know what? I'm going to be saying it again. And is it just me, or is Gamesmaster a little bit flirty uh, in, with this bit of uh, feedback that he gives? His initial reaction to the young lass is definitely an oh my kind of it like... It is, isn't it? Yeah. I say it's an attractive young lady that's not Auntie Marisha. Whatever shall I do? Is my, is my dome clean? <laughs> mm, a woman. <laughs> Let's have our last sad soul. I'm completely stuck on another world for the SNES. How can I get past the guy just after the pool? You will need to get above him to drop something on his head. Swim back through the pool, up the stairs, then shoot the guard at the top and go right. You will be faced with a grenade rolling guard. Run through the doors, then turn and run back so the doors close and the guard is killed by the rebounding grenades. Next, you will be in a room with three chandeliers. Look carefully, and you will see a reflection in them. It's actually that original guard. So shoot a chandelier when you can see he's under it. Go back, and you'll see him crushed under the fallen lighting appliance. Excellent. Thanks, Games Master. And I absolutely love this last entry we've got here, stuck on another world on the Super Nintendo. And it's just, oh man, this is the kind of thing that you want to see in the consultation zone. This is why you can this is why you enjoy seeing a link to the past on the consultation zone, which is just that you've got to do a, an intricate certain set of things in order to get past something that you're just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. I'm completely stuck. And it is just you do these steps, go up the stairs, kill this lad, kill this lad, shoot the chandeliers. But it's not just shooting the chandeliers, is it? 
you've got to wait until the lad below you walks below it. How do I know? And I I particularly loved that they did the split screen to demonstrate this because he's walking below and you can see the shadows moving in the chandeliers. And I really enjoyed that they went the extra mile here to show you that split screen to demonstrate what they mean by the with the hint. I thought this was really, really great. And also, how amazing is it that a game made at this time, before ray tracing, before texture mapping, before all this stuff that we now take as standard, if you're playing a game and your character walks past a mirror, you're going to feel pissed off if you don't see that character's reflection. <laughs> but here we are in this era, and they're essentially mapping a reflection onto this chandelier specifically to make it a viable gameplay element. Such a great moment. And again, a third great hint. As much fun as stuff like Abacab or Up, Up, Down, Down can be, this is great. This is my favorite kind yeah. of consultation zone. This is helping people out that are stuck on specific bits of levels. But that's enough hints and tips and cheats. We've got Shirak and Sally back down for more bantering. But what are they going to be playing, Games Master? To round off this special show, I have a real ace up my sleeve. The game is International Tennis Open on the CDI. Our two contestants are on the center court, battling it out over three sun-drenched games of tennis. So, um, anyone for tennis? Oh, it's very special. In fact, some might say it's got the best graphics you've ever seen. It's International Tennis Open on the Philips CDI. Yes, and just in case you didn't catch that this is the best graphics you'll ever see at the beginning of the show, or just now... Amazing graphics, superb sounds. Don't worry, you will be reminded about it <laughs> multiple times during this challenge. That being said, this game actually does look really, really good. Yeah, it looks nice, man. Amazingly, astoundingly, for a CDI game, it actually plays really well as well. Yeah, it looks good, man. I mean, I've always liked the tennis challenges that we've had on Games Master, but this one looks really nice. It sounds really good. And yeah, like it looks like it plays well too. It wasn't a Philips CDI exclusive, of course. It did also come out for the Mac and the PC, but it was the Wii Sports for the CDI because it was a packing <laughs> game for a lot of the Philips models. And I had kind of erased how much various forms of media were pushing the CDI at this point because Philips had put it out there, they'd introduced it, it had already been around a little while, but now they were reaching the point of, we need to start selling this hardcore. And so this is not the last we'll be seeing of the CDI on Games Master. So, it's CDI Tennis, great game. Are you feeling confident, Shirek? Of course I am. I'm the pioneer of joystick raggling. What do you expect from the champion? And um, uh, what character would you like to be? Um, I think I'll choose V player. And you? E. Anderson. E. Anderson. He's American, right? Yeah. And you're English, so it's going to be England v. America. Should be an interesting final. It's going to be our Wimbledon centre court extravaganza. But this has come back into where we think that Shirag may have got a bit of a script writer on board with him because that he's been told to say that he's the pioneer of joystick waggling. And he will say it quite a few times during this. It's the line he's got. It's the line he remembers. The alternative was him writing, I am a fish 500 times on his body. But Sally's no slouch herself, saying that she didn't beat him in the first round, but say hello to Napoleon when you see him. Is that because he's short? Yeah, yeah, it's totally because he's short, yeah. Okay, I that line didn't sound like it came from a kid. I No. <laughs> although Sally is definitely older. 
because Chirag says that he intends to prove this young girl wrong. And I'm looking at them. I'm like, mate, she's got almost a foot on you. <laughs> she could literally yeah. punch you into the ground if she so chose. Yeah, yeah. She has got easily a foot on him and a good seven to eight years, I would wager. Her patience is to be commended because <laughs> I'd have slapped this kid if I was her. And then it wouldn't be punching down, it would be punching sideways. With me in the commentary box again is Jim Douglas. Hi, Jim. Hi, Dexter. So there's quite a few tennis games on the market, but CDI is a, a really good one, isn't it? That's right. There's plenty of them around, but this is by far the best looking. We've got a very exciting challenge lined up. Best of three games, beautiful graphics, and an English and an American challenger. It's going to be great. Yeah, it should be a good final. Jim Douglas from Games Master Magazine is in the booth. Hey, Ash, I don't know if you're aware of this, but International Tennis Court is one of the best-looking tennis games out there. Indeed, and Jim confirms it, saying it's the best-looking tennis game. Beautiful graphics, Luke. Beautiful <laughs> graphics. Well, Sally is up to serve first, and instantly, Shurag has got an issue here. Shurag's big problem is he keeps going off his line. During the serves, he keeps moving forward or inching just slightly off the line. He is lucky that Sally balls us up a couple of her serves. But he keeps moving off the line and Sally aces him so many times in this challenge. The only time it really starts to go wrong for Sally is when she gets a double fault based off some balls up serves. And I was briefly worried because if you lose the first of three rounds and it's the round you're serving in, you're in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Because chances are you're going to struggle to win the next round, even if you're pretty damn good. This is not... A super tennis challenge. No, it's not as good as super tennis, is it? But I would argue, and not because of the graphics. Did you know how amazing the graphics were, Luke? Did we cover that? I've heard that they're pretty amazing. They are the best graphics you'll ever see. It's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. But in addition to how realistic they look, this is actually a more realistic game of tennis. Because if you watch most people playing tennis, even at a professional level, you don't get rallies like you got on super tennis. That was yeah. superhuman level of tennis. This felt pretty realistic. It meant it wasn't as exciting, but it was more true to life. But Sally takes the first round and then it's over to Shirag to serve for the second. Shirag absolutely dominates that, se that second round. He made it look easy. He basically goes up 40 love, aces it, onto the next round, mate. Sally was not great at the returns uh, on the serve, on Shirag's serve. Unless you are both good at the game, this is how most tennis games will go. The person who gets to serve two rounds is the person that will win this game. And Sally yeah. is up to serve on the third round. And you know what, Luke? It's ace, it's ace, it's ace, and it's ace again. Game, set, and match. By the time it got to the third round, she'd really got the hang of the serving mechanic. The, the first round of this, the first game, very much feels like it's it's Sally finding her feet with the serve and, and Shereg finding his feet with the returns because they do have a few more rallies. They actually go to like, you know, 40 all and they have to go to advantage and, and this, that and the other. And then the second game is just Shirag acing the serves left, right and center. And then into that final game, as you say, Sally has got it nailed down and she's just like, whoop, bomb, whoop, bomb, ace, ace, ace win the game. Sure. Well, you didn't quite go right there. Yeah, I know. Yep. What went wrong? Oh, I don't know. I'm just speechless. I've got nothing to say. Well, that's a surprise <laughs> for you. Yeah, anyway, well, well done. <laughs> Sally. Told you I'd kill him, and I did. Well, you did. You killed him. You hammered him into well, the ground. Even now, though. Even now, one apiece. Yep. But unfortunately, you don't win the games whilst the golden joystick. That means Sally wins the games whilst the golden joystick. And post-match, Shirag doesn't know what went wrong. 
he's absolutely speechless, Luke, which Dex does say is unusual for him. Yeah, I, I can tell you exactly where it was, Shirag. You didn't get to pick the coin. You didn't get to serve first. If he'd have got to serve first, he'd have won. And admittedly, at least Dex didn't make the mistake of holding a <laughs> microphone in his hand this week. No, not this time. You only make that sort of mistake once. Sally said she'd kill him, and she did. She killed him. And Shirag is quick to point out that it's one game apiece because he won the first challenge and she won the second. And Dex is quick to point out that's all well and good, but it doesn't mean you get a joystick because there's only one winner. It's Sally. Sally gets the joystick. Shut up. It is, yeah. I've written my notes here. Sherak says, now we're even. I was like, mate, you're not getting a golden joystick. She is. And she gets that joystick and she proper hefts it in the air. She gives it the full Wimbledon. She's really, really happy to win this challenge. She looks happy to win this challenge. And it's it's a nice moment. It may not have been the most exciting tennis challenge, despite the fact, Luke, this is the best graphics you're ever going to see in your life. It's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. We had Mortal Kombat on this show just a couple of weeks ago. This is way better. This is way better graphics than that. It's just absolutely astounding. And it's on the CDI, which truly is going to be the future of home entertainment. <laughs> I hear Paramount's getting involved. But more on that later. And after that Titanic clash on the centre court, I'll leave you with the words of tennis supremo Andre Agassi. Always keep your eye on your balls. And our final words from Dex are from Andre Agassi. Always keep your eye on your balls. I can actually believe he'd say that, even though we've established these are bollocks quotes. Yeah. But Luke, we skipped through episode one. And loved it. We breezed mm-hmm. through episode two and also kind of loved it. Now we're at episode three. Where are you sitting on this one? I still like the format. I still like Dex. I wasn't as into this episode, though. Um, I, I the, the first and third challenges weren't anything particularly special. Like The highlight of the first challenge is Darren cheating and him then f***ing it all up. And that that is like the, the lone highlight of this episode, really. Because I don't think there's much to the Clay Fighters challenge either, despite how nice Falcon was. So while I very much am still on board with Games Master Series 3, and actually I was thinking about this when I was making my notes for episode 4, these episodes are a breeze to take notes for. They're so much easier to take notes for than Series 1 and 2 were. I don't know why it is. Maybe I'm just more used to it now. But I'm finding it taking notes on these is so much easier. I mean, I do have a distinct theory, and that is we're not having to watch out for dick jokes quite as much. <laughs> because, particularly on season one, I was coming into the recordings with my notes on my iPad, and you were coming in with your notes on your iPad, and I'd be going, and then there's this dick joke, and you'd be going, hang on, is there? Because I'd like, you'd probably watch the episodes like three or four times like I had, and we were still finding new <laughs> dick jokes. Yeah, But also, these episodes do just clip along at a quicker rate, even though, particularly compared to season two, they're longer because the title sequences are shorter. The outro credits of this show zooms by. Like, it's it's 15 seconds of it today. It's so short. But yeah, I'm, I'm on board for the format still. I'm on board for Dexter. I'm fine with the commentators. The review zone was great. Even though it had some mm. bad games, I appreciated the games they reviewed and... The standout star of this episode, apart from tennis on the CDI, because best graphics you'll ever see. Got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. Was the consultation zone. That was the perfect consultation zone for me because that was telling people how to get past bits of the game they were stuck on as opposed to, I suck, I need infinite lives. So while I am still enjoying Series 3, 
I, I wasn't that enamored with this episode overall, though. And that's only because I don't think the challenges were particularly great. It was cool that we got to see Street Fighter, and I thought the consultation zone was ace. But the challenges really let this episode down a great deal. So I I don't quite know where I'm sat with my percentages-wise. My initial gut reaction is to go to the sort of 78, 79-ish mark. But I, I'm just I'm, I'm starting to think that was almost too low because, as you say, it clipped along, and I, and I don't think I was bored. See, I'm surprised you're going that high because I'll just lay it straight down on the line. This is actually a 75% episode for me. Mm. It okay. was almost 70%, but that consultation zone picked it up. I think that's fair. I'm going to stick with 78, and really, those extra percentages that are above your score really come from Darren cheating and f***ing it up. And the graphics on CGI Tennis. It's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. And, and, and of course, the graphics on CGI Tennis, because it's the greatest graphics I've ever seen. It's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. But that is going to do it for this episode of Under Consultation. Thank you all so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do consider giving us a rating and a review wherever you are listening to this because it helps us get noticed in podcast feed. Tell your friends, tell your family. Do they remember Games Master as well? Why not let them know that we're here? If you want to get in touch with us, we are on Twitter at UnderConsolePod. We're on Instagram at Under.Console. And you can send us an email to feedback at UnderConsultation.com. Or if you want to give us a little bit of real-time feedback, chat with us about Games Master, about Under Consultation, about other games and other stuff going on, you can come and join us on our Discord where there's a lovely, vibrant little community. It's a real cool bunch of cats. Hey, using the term cats, I'm hip, I'm with it. It's a cool bunch of cats and just a really, really nice, chill place to hang out. I like it there. It's fun. Indeed it is. And you can support this podcast monetarily by heading on over to patreon.com forward slash under console pod if you back at the five pound level you will get next week's episode one week early and ad free and i think the time by the time you're listening to this you'll have also heard our nightmare episode reviewing not a nightmare episode it's an episode reviewing the classic tv show nightmare maybe it's a nightmare episode we haven't actually recorded it yet but you can hear it over on patreon at any pound amount and also it's not just one nightmare episode, or rather, it's not just one nightmare episode about one episode of Nightmare. We're covering the first team to ever defeat the dungeon. So technically, we're covering two episodes of Nightmare in one <laughs> podcast, but still taking up less time than an episode of The Crystal Maze. <laughs> and you can also back us at a £10 level and get some extra goodies. Ash, what do they get? They get a mug, they get stickers, they get badges, they get retro sweeties, they get retro trading cards. You get some 1994 Mighty Morphin Power Rangers cards in your pack now, and you get £5 off of our first t-shirt, which is available at underconsultation.com, where you can also get other mugs, extra badges, extra stickers, extra merch, as well as links to our Discord, to our social medias, all of that can also be found there as well. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Luke, Robert, Jamie, Matt, Kyrick, Phil, Simon, Nick, Sean, Adam, Cliff, Adam, Rich, Gordon, William and Misha. You all rule just as each and every single person that listens to this show does. Thank you all so much for listening. We will be back in seven days time with more of Series 3 of Games Master. Take care. Good night.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.